the first time ever that the UAW has struck all three. All three of the big three. And they are doing it in a clever way as to keep a, a hold of that strike fund for as long as possible. But who really holds the leverage here? And, and for, for companies like Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, are they really... Is At what point does this become a dire situation for them? Merrick Masters is a business professor and labor expert at Wayne State University and joins us. Uh, Merrick, it's, it's good to talk with you once again. Who do you think holds the, 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 the upper hand in this case? Because, look, you've got 97% of the rank and file that voted to strike if necessary. Sean Fain led them to that, that finish line, and, and now... Uh, these talks are ongoing with with I don't know how much of an indication that we are closer, but but who do you think holds the upper hand here? Well, I think right now, in some ways, you could argue the union holds the upper hand because they've got the companies off balance. They're calling the shots when it comes to introducing strikes and they're inflicting harm on the companies uh, in proportion to the level of strike activity they undertake. Um, But um, both sides, I would say, are very vulnerable. Um, The UAW is vulnerable because it's in a weakened position in the industry due to electrification, the growth of non-union electrical vehicle producers. And the companies are in a vulnerable position because of the pressure they're under to finance electrical vehicles, that is by government mandate, as much as it is by customer preference. Mm -hmm. So this is going to become very much a contest of economic power and endurance. And unless the parties are able to um, be more flexible and reasonable about what they need to get this settled and move on. We saw Ford's answer to this. They laid off uh, about 600 workers uh, as, as the, the UAW targeted a few plans that we, we talked about last week. Um, where do you think the dance really comes into play? Because what Ford said was, well, all of our, our operations are intertwined. But you've got the UAW taking no shots. They're going to they're gonna do what they need to do, what they feel will, will inflict the most pain on these automakers. But but the autos have some, some ways to counterpunch here. How are we going to see this dance kind of play out between the two? Well, the cost of the strike um, increased geometrically as the volume of strike activity goes up and as it endures, it goes on longer. So ultimately, you're going to get to the point where if it's a company-wide strike, uh, that each of the companies is going to lose $500 million or more um, dollars a week. And the UAW, as it has to pay more of its strike fund, is going to rapidly deplete its strike fund. And <clears throat> the water, wider economy in terms of suppliers are going to be adversely affected, which has already started to take place. So the ripple effect will compound. And, and you know, it be, then becomes the question as to how much pain people are willing to suffer before they make the concessions that are necessary, probably to have gotten an agreement that they could come close to getting right now uh, if they would just knuckle down and realize that 
certain things um, are not on the table. They're just not going to be granted as part of this bargain with the union. In terms of what we're seeing across the country in involving labor unions, whether it's the Teamsters and UPS or what we're seeing with the writers and, and SAG-AFTRA out in, in Hollywood. Is is there a, a lesson that the UAW is learning from from those situations? How are they applying what 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 those unions did or are doing into what they're working into now? Well, I would say that the UAW has a much more ambitious list of demands than the other companies the other unions have. Uh, and their demands include not only sizable wage increases and protection from inflation in one form or another, <clears throat> and dealing with staffing issues such as temporary employees and progression and tiers. They also want restoration of retiree health care, restoration of defined benefit pension plans, and restoration of the job banks, plus the cost of living allowance and the right to strike over plant closures, plus some additional money allocated to retirees. All of those things, I think, you know, in the latter category are, are just largely non-starters. Uh, the companies cannot balloon their balance sheets. They can afford to expend a large number, a large amount of cash and give the workers, I think, a sizable wage increase, more than what they've been offering. I think they can give them sizable profit. Uh, they, they can do better in terms of what they provide in terms of profit sharing. Uh, they could also um, give them uh, some additional lump sum payments uh, that, for example, a sizable ratification bonuses they proposed uh, and additional contributions to their defined contribution plans and perhaps some lump sum payments to retirees. All those things, I think, are, are doable. Um, but um, if it's the whole ball of wax and they want to restore all the things that they were forced to suspend, both the companies and the union, during bankruptcy, then I think that um, we're going to be in for a very long strike. And I would doubt that the Biden administration would would allow it to go on very much beyond a few weeks without trying to intervene more directly into the negotiations. Are, are we going to see a situation where these auto companies are going to be significantly raising the cost of vehicles? And I think the cost of vehicles have already skyrocketed over the last decade, but but certainly as as the workers become more sporadic, less more plants become uh, 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 strike plants, what what does that do to the average consumer? Well, I mean, if they increase labor costs, you know, the companies have three alternatives. One, they can absorb it, and that reduces their profits, and that decreases their interest to investors. Uh, they can cut other costs. Uh, they're in the process of doing that, and they can probably accommodate some of the labor cost increase and reductions and other costs. Uh, or they can pass it along to consumers in the form of price increases. And I'm certain that they will um, do that as well. So they'll raise the prices of vehicles where they think that they can do so and still make sales. And ultimately, somebody's going to have to pay for the increase um, beyond just the, the companies in reducing their profitability because they need the capital to finance their future operations. Which are more expensive. 
as as they make uh, the shift towards you know, electric they, vehicles. They've got to a lot in the transition to electrification. Yeah. Eventually, the production process may become more efficient, and they can lower the costs. Uh, but we're in a transition period. It's difficult, and there will be pain on all sides. And I think the UAW is right to point up that the labor deserves to be treated fairly and justly mm-hmm. in this transition. The question is, on, on a contractual basis, what does that mean? Uh, all interesting questions, and hopefully uh, we gain some clarity over the coming days uh, and, and hopefully not quite weeks. Merrick Masters, always good to catch up. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Take yeah, care. you got it. We'll talk again soon. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. If you want to weigh on that, it's there for you. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Christina Caramo, the chairwoman of the Michigan Republican Party. The upcoming Mackinac Leadership Conference is coming up. We'll talk about who they've got coming and maybe who they don't. That's next on JR Afternoon.